What's up, beer drinkers, and welcome to a special show. It is the first day of autumn, and it is a nice, cool 102 degrees today in Arizona. <laughs> I know some of y'all are cool enough, and we are too, actually. It's supposed to get down into the to the 90s next week. So isn't that pretty awesome? Yep, I think so too. But anyway, uh, today we have a twofer. Beer history number nine and beer history number 10. Beer history number nine has to do with home brewing and beer history number 10 is all about Oktoberfest. Just in time. All right, that's enough about me. Don't forget to follow me and my show, Cold Brew, on Instagram and on Untapped. Just search Cold Brew Podcast and friend us and we'll friend you back. And email us at coldbrewpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions. And here is Professor Bierkowski with beer history number nine and number ten. The next time you raise a glass of craft beer, make sure you toast former President Jimmy Carter. Now, really. You should be offering up your suds to the man who was reported by the media during the 1976 election to be a non-drinker. As crazy it may seem now, homebrewing used to be illegal, and Jimmy Carter actually played a part in changing that, which some would argue helped significantly contribute to the American craft beer revolution. When Prohibition was repealed in 1933... Winemaking was legalized, but making your own beer with an ABV that was greater than 0.5% remained illegal. Federal regulators were concerned about people using brewing grains not for beer, but for moonshine. If you recall my past segments about prohibition, you'll remember that unlike homebrewed beer, moonshine and other homemade hard liquor were often toxic due to impure ingredients and negligent distilling conditions, making it incredibly dangerous to consume. It's important to note that homebrewing never stopped, just like making moonshine never stopped during prohibition. The time span between the end of Prohibition and Jimmy Carter's presidency concerning homebrewing is not well recorded, but I think it's safe to assume that experimentation was going on in garages, barns, and basements all around the United States. Basically, from the 50s onward, big beer corporations like Pabst, Bud, and Miller dominated the market thanks to ingenious marketing tactics, saying that everyday beer should be light and easy and that it was healthier for you too. Also, when you monopolize the entire market, you can make whatever you want and people have no choice but to buy it. It was a mid-century culture where with food, it was okay to be homogeneous, meaning when you turned on the TV, commercials were all about Velveeta cheese, frozen dinners, and white bread. Gross. Flavor diversity wasn't really a thing. In the 1960s, even with home brewing still being illegal... Homebrewing clubs sprang up all around the country as hobbyists tried to make beer that was different from the abundancy of American light lagers. One of these hobbyists was Charlie Papagian. While studying at the University of Virginia in 1970, the story goes that his friend's neighbor, who made 
pre-prohibition style homebrew introduced Papagian to homebrewing. Papagian found that homebrewed beer tasted more flavorful than unlike anything he had ever had. He said, quote, I never knew beer could taste like this. While working part-time as a janitor at a daycare facility, he began brewing beer in the daycare's kitchen during off hours. As people began to show interest in his beer, Papagian wrote up a two-page set of instructions and began distributing it by hand. After graduating from college in 1972, he moved to Boulder, Colorado, where he began hosting homebrewing classes outside of his home. The early 70s is where Jimmy Carter's role in the story comes into play. In 1976, a group of homebrewers in California lobbied Senator Alan Cranston for federal legalization. After two years of failed attempts, Cranston was finally able to incorporate the legislation of homebrewing into a transportation bill to avoid scrutiny. Cranston, who was a Democrat from California, and Representative William Steger, who was a Republican from Wisconsin, introduced Amendment Number 5354 that called for the fair treatment of homebrewing. In 1978, President Jimmy Carter signed H.R. 1337, legalizing homebrewing at the federal level. It stated, quote, any adult, which was formerly head of families, is allowed to produce wine and beer for personal and family use and not for sale without incurring the wine or beer excise taxes or any penalties for quantities per calendar year of number one, 200 gallons if there are two or more adults in the household and number two, 100 gallons if there is only one adult in the household. It is important to note, however, that alcohol regulations were predominantly left to individual states to decide. So while legalization of homebrewing at the federal level was a huge win for hobby beer making communities, it also meant that effort was needed in each state to truly make homebrewing a legal activity. In fact, Alabama and Mississippi were the last states to legalize homebrewing in 2013. H.R. 1337 took effect on February 1st, 1979, just as Papagian was launching his homebrewing magazine, Zemergy. And for those who don't know, Zemergy is a scientific term that is defined as fermentation by yeast, as well as the American Homebrewers Association, or AHA, was being formed. The AHA helped make homebrewing mainstream and became a catalyst for the explosive growth of today's craft brewing community. Today, homebrewing is how over 90% of craft brewers learned their trade, according to the AHA. Although entrepreneurs and beer enthusiasts began hundreds of new breweries during the 90s and 2000s, most of them were very small with an annual production of levels between 5,000 and 10,000 barrels annually. Reflecting their small size, these new firms were nicknamed microbreweries. Collectively, microbreweries have grown to account for approximately 5 to 7% of the total beer market. Microbreweries represented a new strategy in the beer industry. Rather than competing on the basis of price and advertising, they attempted to compete on the basis of inherent product characteristics. They emphasized the freshness of locally produced beer. They experimented with much stronger malt and hot flavors. 
They tried new and long-discarded brewing recipes and often reintroduced styles that had been popular in America decades earlier. So here's a few fun facts about homebrewers and homebrewing in America. There are approximately 1.1 million homebrewers in the United States, producing an estimated 1.4 million barrels of year barrels of beer yearly. Should we cut that off? Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. I'll start from the fun facts. Okay. All right. So here are some fun facts about homebrewers and homebrewing in the United States. There are approximately 1.1 million homebrewers in the United States, producing an estimated 1.4 million barrels of beer yearly. There are more than 37,000 American Homebrewers Association members. Nearly 1,500 homebrew clubs exist in the United States, and 300-plus homebrew competitions are scheduled to be held each year in the United States. So, Greg... What do you think the beer scene would look like today if homebrewing had never been legalized? There'd be about seven to 8,000 less breweries out there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be really only up to like the, the people with money who could start a, you know, like a, a start a business, not a, a homebrew business, but just be able to start like, say, first one that comes to mind is like Golden Road because mm-hmm. they just opened up huge right away. They didn't start off small. They just they had money and they opened up a big brewery to be bought out. Mm. Um, so there'd be a lot of that going on, I yeah. would think. Do you think there would be as much ingenuity and creativity? And Th- That's a great question. No, there wouldn't. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it would be they'd stick to the styles that work because it seems like this day and age, not, not just in home brewing, but everywhere, if you look... Any type of industry, whether it's sports, entertainment, um, it, it just seems that it's analytics driven now, mm-hmm. uh, especially like music. Like a lot of pop music is just get them in, get them out. Just, you know, the, the it's formulaic. Yeah. It's not bad. It's just formulaic. And so why would beer be any different? Mm-hmm. It would just be formulaic. It'd be all the, the, the five or six major categories done really well. Yeah. But there would be no experiments, no craziness. And, they, you know, brewers get a lot of shit from, like, um, online, you know, uh, influencers about adding cereal to their beer <laughs> or Pop-Tarts or pickles or, you know, whatever. It's like, it doesn't matter what. Throw a fucking plate of nachos in there. Let's see what comes out, right? Yeah. And they, you know, deservedly so. You know, it's all good fun. But without that ingenuity, without that you know, experimentation, you wouldn't get new things like the short-lived brood IPA uh-huh. or even shit, even a hazy IPAs. Cause people would be like, Nope, that's not how to brew an IPA. It's supposed sure. to be clear. Yeah. It can't be hazy. Yeah. Why are you adding oats to that shit? <laughs> Why are you encouraging flocculation? You know, it's, it, it would, it would stymie that it might come out eventually, but it would be some, you know, uh, somebody way far out from left field. Who's, who purposely spoiled the batch just to get it out. <laughs> and then it'd be like, Oh, this is the next best thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it would, uh, yeah. The, uh, creativity, ingenuity, like you said, and experimentation would be, w- would have grind almost to a halt. Yeah. makes me wonder what the American palette, uh, would be like in comparison to the rest of the world. Cause we are unique in our, 
desire for insanely hop forward beers among yeah, other things that's where it started right i would think yeah. it's like the hop forward beers like how much hops how many different style of hops yeah and then that's kind of and it's everything stemmed from there now let's try something else in beer mm-hmm. let's try this in beer yeah and it seemed like the world followed suit after that because yeah. you know you got the UK brewers doing the same thing. Obviously, Australian brewers because some of the best hops in the world are grown down there in Australia now. Mm-hmm. Like Galaxy, fucking love that one. Nelson was another one. Yeah. That was one of the early ones that came from that. I think that's New Zealand, but still, from Say, yeah, close Southern Hemisphere, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> closer than we are. Yes, very much so. But yeah, I mean, after hearing it, fuck, I'm, I'm I'm on the AHA AHA website right now. I'm uh-huh. like, uh, let's fucking brew beer. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> Let's roll. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying that for a while now, and and I really need to. I really need to get into it. We should brew a beer. I've I've confession. I've helped like do stuff at the brewery, but oh, yeah, I've, I've seen you on Instagram lifting those big old yeah, bags of grain. Like I've helped in the process, but I've never done it from beginning to end. Yeah, I know our, our friend Taylor has. She has. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's a badass. Yes, she is. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I have also helped. Like I've pitched yeast and uh-huh. I've thrown an extract, but um, I haven't done like the the hard the hard stuff though, mm-hmm. like the cleaning. Mm-hmm. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the hard stuff. That's yeah. where the brewers, uh, that's where their metal is is earned. Yeah, is with all the cleaning because if you don't clean it right, it ain't gonna be brewed right. Mm-mm. It's gonna be nasty. So yeah, I'm I'm down. I'm down to home brew. It's a lot of fun, and, and I I know some home brewers in the area, and. And they're very supportive. Mm-hmm. And I just know all I got to do is reach out and they'll help. Yeah. But we, I just got to be ready. We should do that. Yes. <laughs> so thank you to Jimmy Carter. Yeah, yeah I know, not, right? Let's not forget his brother had Billy Beer. That's right. <laughs> I've never had it. I've seen old cans of it, but I'm like, I'm not cracking that shit open. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did a story just a little while ago about a woman who cracked open a 50-year-old can of course. It was her husband's favorite. And he saved it from their wedding day. Oh man! And so they it, it followed her around, and he unfortunately he died like a, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, she and her son, um, or their son, I should say, uh, cracked it open on their what would have been their fiftieth wedding anniversary and mm-hmm. tasted it. And beer doesn't go bad. I mean, it goes stale, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be toxic. Mm-hmm. So even if you did find an old Billy, <laughs> that's my point. If you did find an old Billy beer, it wouldn't kill you. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't go blind. Do it for science. Try that's it. That's right. It probably tastes stale. Uh-huh. A, lot of, a lot of paper, I would think. <laughs> It'd probably be like drinking a cardboard box. Lovely. <laughs> Maybe a little sweetness in there. I, I could still see some sweetness coming through. But yeah. It was a lager, right? The Billy beer. I, I, I would remember. imagine so. I don't know. Yeah, because that's America's taste back then was yes. American light lagers. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Rachel, for taking time and dropping knowledge on us like this again. Thank you for having me.
about you all, but autumn is my favorite season. And to welcome the fall, breweries all over the world create fest beers and Oktoberfest beers. These multi-crisp, superb brews are the perfect way, I think, to ring in cooler temperatures and shorter days. Today, I'm going to be talking about the history of the legendary celebration of Oktoberfest. But before we dive into some history, we must first talk a little bit about the brewing traditions of Germany, mainly lagering. The German word lagern means to store. Lager beers originated in Northern Europe in what is now Germany and Austria. Lager beers are fermented with a yeast strain called Saccharomyces pastorianus, which work at a much slower rate than ale yeast. It thrives in cooler temperatures and is referred to as bottom fermenting yeast and cool fermenting yeast. The tradition of cool fermentation in Europe dates back to the Middle Ages. During that period, there was obviously no refrigeration, and beer could only be brewed in the cooler months of the year, typically September through March. This beer was then fermented and stored throughout the hot summer months in the most chilled environments as possible. These environments were either natural caves or carved cellars into bedrock. Cellars were typically found at monasteries. These underground locations could be packed with ice gathered from the rivers, lakes, and mountains in the late spring. Some Munich brewers even took their beer to the ice-cold alpine caves. When stored in such cold temperatures during the summer months, the beer became inherently more stable. The qualities of bottom-fermenting lager yeast gives beer a really distinct character. German lagers are world-renowned for their crisp, clean taste, and they tend to be more malty than, say, American-style lagers. Okay, so now let's get into the history. The very first Oktoberfest was celebrated on October 12, 1810, in Bavaria, when Crown Prince Ludwig got hitched to Princess Therese of Saxon-Hilderbrunghausen. I think I said that right. <laughs> the citizens of Munich were invited to attend the festivities held on the fields in front of the city gates to celebrate the royal event. The party lasted for several days. Free food and beer flowed throughout the entire city. Horse races in the presence of the royal family marked the close of the event on October 17th. Seeing as the royal family couldn't celebrate a wedding every year on October 12th, the following year it was the horse race that promoted the Oktoberfest tradition. In subsequent years, the festivities dates were moved up, which allowed for better weather conditions. Because the September nights were warmer, the visitors were able to enjoy the festivities outside. Historically and still occurring today, Oktoberfest celebrations start the third week of September and conclude the first weekend of October. So how did the party evolve after those first few years into what we know today? In the additional decade or so, an added feature to the horse races was an agricultural show designated to boost Bavarian agriculture. In 1818, a carousel and two swings were set up for festival goers, and attendees were amply entertained by tree climbing competitions, wheelbarrow sack races, mush eating contests, barrel rolling races, and goose chases. 
By the 1870s, mechanical rides were an expanding feature, and in 1908, the festival boasted Germany's first roller coaster. In 1887, Lederhosen and Drindles became the traditional garb for attendees. Lederhosen were traditionally working clothes modeled after 16th century French knee breeches. German and Austrians working in the Alps adopted these designs and made popular their own leather versions. And Lederhosen literally translates to leather pants. The drindle has similar roots as attire for workers or peasants and traditionally consists of a bodice, skirt, blouse, and apron. When the city began allowing beer on the fairgrounds, makeshift beer stands began popping up and their number increased steadily until they were eventually replaced by beer halls in 1896. The beer halls, like the large beer tents we see today, were sponsored by local breweries. Here's a fun fact. Did you know that the standard Oktoberfest brew is called Marzen, which means March, as in the month of March, in German? It is called this for a very simple reason. As we discussed earlier when talking about lagering, most German beers were brewed in the winter months, with March being the last month acceptable to brew before temperatures started warming up. So Oktoberfest beers are brewed in March and stored in cold caves all summer after the yeast has had months to lager. And remember, lagern means to store. Then in September and October, after temperatures have started to cool down again, the beer barrels are rolled out of the caves and cellars and enjoyed by the masses. Like all German beer, Oktoberfest beer is brewed according to strict German standards called the Reinheinsgebot that precisely defines four ingredients allowed in the brewing of beer, water, malt, hops, and yeast. If you want to learn more about the Reinheinsgebot, look back in your beer history episodes vaults because I have dedicated a whole episode to this topic. Festival regulations require the beer served at Oktoberfest to be brewed within the Munich city limits. This beer is supplied by the Club of Munich Brewers, which consists of six very large breweries. Augusteiner, Hacker Shore, Hofbrau, Lohenbrau, Polliner, and Spaten. Several smaller beer tents and beer gardens provide enough seating at the festival for 98,000 visitors at one time. Oktoberfest beer can range from pale to dark brown in color, but it is typically amber-hued. The malts dominate the flavor profile of this beer, and the finish is clean and dry. This world-famous lager is served in one-liter dimpled glass mugs called Crew. And whatever you do, don't call those mugs a stein. A beer stein is a stoneware drinking vessel, which usually has a hinged metal lid. Today, Oktoberfest in Munich is the largest festival in the world. The 16-day party attracts over 6 million people every year who consume 1.5 million gallons of beer, 200,000 pairs of pork sausage, and 480,000 split-roasted chickens. Oktoberfest celebrated its 200th anniversary in 2010, and only wars, cholera epidemics, and now COVID-19 have briefly interrupted the yearly beer celebration. 
And unfortunately, it is canceled again this year in 2021. So, Greg, have you been to Oktoberfest? I have not been to the official Oktoberfest. I have been to the English Garden a week after Oktoberfest. Oh, okay. That's close to me. <laughs> when, I was, when I was backpacking through Europe, we decided we were in Barcelona. And we're like, hey, let's go over to Munich. So we hop on a train, go to Munich, because it's like the first weekend in October. And lo and uh-huh. behold, we, that's when I learned that Oktoberfest happens the last week of September. Yep. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah, so I miss, we missed it by a week. But that place is huge. I, I was thinking, trying to compare it to something that I've been to before, and it'd be like Central Park in New York City. Just a huge okay. park in the middle of a, of, a, of a city, of an urban environment. So it's big. It's enough to hold, what you say, 98,000? I believe it. At one time, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have not been to Oktoberfest. It is on my bucket list for sure. Um, I've been to plenty of little podunk Oktoberfest celebrations that, you know, cities have here in Phoenix and, yeah. and other parts of the nation. But I've heard cynics say it's not that great because it's very corporate now. Yes. Not a corporate. It, imagine like a, a beer festival um, hosted by Miller and Coors and AB and Bev and, you know, Budweiser and Blue Moon and all that. It's very corporate. I mean, there's still beer and it's still really good. In fact, uh, you're only allowed to call um, Oktoberfest beer or Fest beer if you're an official participant or something like that. I forget what it's called. Uh, I forget sure. what the exact words are. If you're one of those six, those six big players, only right. they're allowed to call it Oktoberfest. Other breweries that are making beers for the Oktoberfest celebration, they have to call them Fest beers. They there can't call it Oktoberfest. Yeah. And then there's different styles now. I mean, there's the original Martzen, but now there's like a, a lighter lager style. And there's even, I, I think there's a, even a half style fest beer. So it, it, I guess uh, they're just trying to get to the, uh, um, just trying to vary it up, I guess, the, the, the different breweries anyway. Yeah. Satisfy the different tastes of folks. Right. I do like Oktoberfest. It's one of the ones I didn't like when I first started my beer journey, but it's slowly grown on me over the years. And now I look forward to uh, fall when they come out. Those are my, I, you know, I, I have the Sierra Nevada one. I liked it better last year than this year, but I think it was because they actually peered, uh, paired with Bitburger last year or Weinstefan or one of those two. This year okay. they did it on their own. And it's good, but it's not as good as, as the last couple of years, I think. I have a can of that sitting in my fridge. Okay. I haven't cracked it open yet. but And I have not had that one. So, yeah, let's see. <laughs> and then I bought the one, I think, uh, Tombstone and Ren House has theirs out right now. And I bought... Tombstone one is solid. Okay, I have that in my fridge right now and the Ren House one. I've not had the Ren House one, but Tombstone last year's was fucking mind-blowing. It was delicious. So, and if you can... I've, if you can, try to get the Sun Up one. They, he always brews a really good one every year. Oh, okay. I'll keep my eyes out for that. I haven't seen it um, canned in a while. You might have to go to the actual brewery for that. So that might be a little bit tough for some people. That's not the worst thing. It's good to force me to get out. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's great. I, I love Oktoberfest, and I'm, I'm glad to, I, you know, I learned a couple things. I knew about the, about the wedding. Um, I knew what uh, you know lager was, um, but there's a couple little details in there that I had no idea, like how it went from a 
a wedding to a horse race <laughs> to a um what, an agricultural show and then yeah it's a yeah. pretty a festival and yeah. then beer and <laughs> now it's just beer yeah. <laughs> and a little, a little tiny roller coaster here and there <laughs> that's right uh, maybe a pretzel yeah. or two. Oh god i hope so <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much rachel i look forward to you uh next month awesome thank you I'm both in, I'm